Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram at I Love That Movie Podcast, and we have a Patreon. Um, this show is always free, but if you want to support us on there, you can at patreon.com slash I love that movie. And I want to take a quick moment to thank my top patrons, Chris Balga, Michael Cross, and Philip Barker. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. Um, and if you sign up right now, we are currently going through The Mandalorian. So we're starting with season one. We just did season one last week and we'll be going forward as long as a, along with, sorry, along with a weekly roundup of what I'm watching that week as well. So it's just a little bonus content. If you like the show and you want more content, hang out with us on there. Uh, we've also got a website, a Discord, and a Facebook group. So plenty of ways to catch up with us. And those are listed in the show notes. As always, guys, if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. And I've got a new guest with me here today who goes by TV's Travis. Say hi, Travis. Hello. Hello. Well, welcome to the show. And so since this is your first time, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit to the group? Absolutely. So uh, I'm Travis, aka TV's Travis, and I just love to talk about movies. So about a year and a half ago or so, I started a show called Wait You Haven't Seen. And mm -hmm. what I do is I bring people on and I have them, or sometimes me, watch a movie for the first time. And it could be something that's really surprising, like, oh, you've never seen The Princess Bride? How, how is that possible? Or something maybe a little bit more obscure. Um, but I just love to talk movies and show new, new movies to people. I also like being on the receiving end of it. I had, for instance, never seen the movie Amelie before. And I had a friend of mine. Oh. It was her favorite movie. She suggested it. I loved it. I absolutely loved the movie. So it's a, it's a nice two-way street. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, my show's premise is not the exact same, but it is similar in that that happens a lot where someone picks a movie I've never seen before or even a movie that I didn't love the first time I saw, but watching it again, knowing that it's someone's movie that they really enjoy and then, you know, having a conversation with them about it can really, it can open you up to a lot of possibilities. So that sounds really fun. Yeah, it is. And that's the thing about it. It's the conversation after the fact and right. finding out why somebody liked the movie or maybe they didn't really love the movie get the the idea is why is it because it's a 25 year old movie they're seeing it for the first time through the lens <laughs> of today versus something that maybe I grew up with and so I I know I hold like a lot of nostalgia for it that kind of thing so you know. oh for sure well I love that well welcome to the show and my guest always picks the movie so what movie did you pick to talk about today I picked the 1995 Hackers because, um, well, hack the planet, basically. <laughs> okay, so I have seen this movie before. 
I've seen it one other time. Um, okay. In, I guess, it came out in 1995, so it would have been 14, I think, when it came out. Um, so prime age, I guess, to, to for this to come out. What, what about you? When did you first see it? Yeah, it was right around that, 95, 96. So I was in that 14 to 15-year-old range as well. Um, and it was it was perfect. Like it had the visual style. It had the the type of energy that I really liked. Um, you know, I've, I've always been big into technology and computers anyway. So like the idea behind it drew me in. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was one of those things where as a 14 or 15-year-old, I really glommed onto it from like an aesthetic point of view. And then as I, I, I fell in love with it right away, I just loved the whole concept behind it. Yeah. So over the years, I've watched it more and more, and I've come to realize that it's not an accurate film by any stretch. <laughs> yeah. But that's fine because it's a film. So just like something like Star Wars isn't accurate about space travel, even if we <laughs> had starships, you wouldn't hear anything in space, but... It's more enjoy, enjoyable and entertaining to hear those things. Or, you know, movies about the military very rarely are accurate about what the military is like, but they're interesting to watch. And so I can kind of take this movie with, with that sort of a lens and enjoy it even more. I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, before we delve too much into it, um, you know, if, if you haven't heard the show before, we will talk spoilers. So if you haven't seen this movie before and you're interested in seeing Hackers, then I would take a moment, pause, go see it. Uh, I watched it on, I believe, HBO Go yesterday. Um, so uh, HBO Max, sorry. I'm, I get all the terms confused. Yeah, but <laughs> there's so many. Of them. HBO I saw it go on Max. HBO. Yeah, I saw it on HBO Max. So you can see it, you know, in theory, if you have that right now. Um But I'm going to go ahead and and talk about the synopsis real quick. Uh, A teenage hacker finds himself framed for the theft of millions of dollars from a major corporation. Master hacker Dade Murphy, a.k.a. Zero Cool, a.k.a. Crash Override, has been banned from touching a keyboard for seven years after crashing a 1,500 Wall Street computers at the age of 11. Now keen to get back in front of a monitor, he finds himself in more trouble than ever. Yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not a, a, you know, like a super complex plot or anything like that. Um, just, you know, uh, your typical, well, now typical. I guess, should we talk about that a little bit? I, I feel like you're talking about it not necessarily being realistic, but like being more aesthetically pleasing. Um, you know, this was made in a time when a lot of this was new to people. I think watching this now, it would be hard to connect with that, don't you think? Very much so. It was so the whole idea of of cyberspace of the internet was so new on a mass scale when this movie came out. I mean, I had, uh, I think I was using America Online still, maybe at this point. Um, I know a lot of people still were in the mid nineties. Yeah, I was trying to think. Like, I remember the internet being so basic. I remember even before that, like when you would mm-hmm. dial up, and it looks like. Almost like when you put in like code or something oh, and yeah. you could like ask questions and get them answered and follow links. But everything you went to was so incredibly bare bones. It was like hard to imagine that that was ever going to be super useful. Right. <laughs> like it looked nothing like today, essentially. Yeah. And I think that the the filmmakers were smart in let's let's come up with a very simple kind of almost thriller type of plot and then mm-hmm. wrap it in this this veneer of this subculture 
uh, of hackers because I did read that the, the writer, the screenplay was done by a guy named Raphael Moreau, and he actually spent some time with hackers in New York um, prior to writing this. And, you know, they threw in a bunch of fun little um, nods to uh, cyberspace stuff. The, the supercomputer in it is called a Gibson, which is named after William Gibson. Right, who, right. You know, coined the phrase cyberspace. And they have like uh, even things like um, the, the main bad guy, the plague, which is another fun thing. The movie plays with names because everybody, especially early Internet, everybody, it was all about having a handle. Whether yeah, it was, not, it, th- this movie almost makes it seem like it's the hackers, but like everybody had a handle, which is weird because that doesn't exist anymore. And sometimes like on my online presence, I use handles because I just have for like 20 years. I don't know, like a long yeah. time. And so mm-hmm. people ask me sometimes like, is that your real name? And why would you not use your real name? <laughs> well, we're living in a, you know, Facebook heavy type of world where everyone has to use like their full name. But yeah. back in the day, it was like. I mean, you would never use your full name online. No, it was just never. sort of a given. And that was, you know, that started back in the old bulletin board system days and, and whatnot is the the handle. There's a scene in this where the one kid, so there's, there's a group of uh, hackers that all go to high school together. And there's the one kid who's a little bit younger than them that really wants to be part of the group. He doesn't have a handle yet. And that's like a big plot point for him. He has a whole right. scene where he's talking about, I need a handle. I don't have an identity without a handle. I can remember that from my youth. I can remember being in chat rooms and things, and you never gave out your real name. It was always whatever handle you had, you know, whether it was I would take stuff from things that were going on in my life. At one point, I was training martial arts. I was given the symbol of a falcon, so I became falcon online. Uh, you know, I would, I would take names from books or musical artists or something, and I would work those into a handle at some point. So it was, it was a really important thing. And I like that the movie did this where all of the kids were, you know, Dade Murphy, but he went by Crash Override. Yeah. And then and that was had, actually... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, and I was going to say, and then you had like the the older hacker was the plague who hated being called by his real name. Like he was very much of that same kind of ilk as these kids, just an older, more cynical version of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's actually one of the one of the quick facts that I wrote down, because usually in this part of the show we kind of go through just a couple of real quick facts. I'm sure you've got way more than I do, <laughs> but um, one of them that I had was that all the hacker handles proposed by Joey were actual names already used by real hackers. So yeah. I guess that's something that's kind of cool. You know, now that I'm a little bit older, um, when I saw this when I was a teenager. Um, as you were saying, this stuff was so fresh and so brand new. Not, I couldn't necessarily uh, relate to all of it yet. It's kind of like in hindsight that I can see some of the stuff. And I don't think I was, you know, like people weren't as socially aware as they are now of everything that's going on in the news. So, for instance, there's some things that happen that play off things that happen in real life that mm. I just didn't know that when I first saw the film. Right. Um but one of those things was that the hacker manifesto read by Agent Bob was actually written by a hacker of great renown in the 1980s named Lloyd Blankenship, who went by the name The Mentor. It was published in Frack Magazine, issue 7, file 3 in 1986. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and like, I had no idea of that when I saw it the first time. You know, it was years later. Because some of this has to do, too, with where the film is set. The film is set in New York City. And definitely mm-hmm. bigger cities, New York, Chicago, Detroit, L.A., would have these subcultures of people because they just had more 
they more had more people. access to that, more people. So <laughs> yeah, the, it, you know. and, and that actually leads into the third one that I was going to mention. It's that the film's writer, director, and cast members. You actually mentioned this earlier too. Attended a New York City uh, twenty six hundred meeting, a monthly hangout of local hackers. Yeah. And yeah, it's like that's something like you said at that time you could only really do in a big city because it just isn't everywhere yet. Yeah, exactly. Nowadays you can you know, you can find people in online communities pretty much everywhere. Right. Um, but again, it's a totally different culture now too because you find all these people but everybody's using real names because of things like Facebook. Um yeah. there's still there's still a lot of handles that get used uh in certain communities. Um and it's not always like nefarious, but you know it, it does happen. But I, I kind of yeah. like it because it, it gives the it gives a character a little bit more. It's like having an avatar almost, you know. It's yeah. and it, it's a way to separate two parts of your life. I mean, that's kind of what I used it for most of my life uh, because I was really into like you know anime and cosplay, and I didn't really necessarily like it wasn't so accepted as it is today. So when I was a teenager, I didn't necessarily want everyone to know that I was doing that. <laughs> it wasn't right. like I was up to anything scary or bad, but it's just to have a little bit of a level of anonymity and not have to like give out my real name and information to people. I would have a handle. Yeah. Um, but now it's like, it's almost flipped where if you use a handle, people are like, why are you doing that? And why can't you say your real name? And it's like, well, I guess you just have to know like where a lot of the, a lot of this came from and it came from a world where we weren't so connected to where you know it was easier to sort of distance yourself a little bit yeah and there is a little bit of i don't want to say a, uh, a generational gap but there is a little bit of an age gap between Definitely. people of, of our age that you know we grew up we were really kind of formative years where when this was starting to take off um, and a, in a mainstream thing, you know, a few years older than us were, if they were in a big city, were really part of like the, the true genesis of it. And then you got, you know, younger people today who it's just always been around. The internet has always been a thing for anybody, you know, under the age of what, probably 25, if not a little bit older than that, where they've yeah. never known a world without that. Exactly. So. And so it's funny because every generation sort of treats it differently. Like I feel people a little bit older than us are even more afraid of their information being online. And they'll say things like, well, don't take a picture of this. Well, don't show that. And you're kind of like, mm -hmm. why not? Like we're all connected. You know, it, it's yeah. weird how that sort of has changed over time. Um, the next thing that I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, let's go into the director, Ian Softly. I looked around it looks like the only other uh movie that i could tell that i am familiar with that he directed i think was k-pax but mm -hmm. other than that um i haven't watched a whole lot i know he's an english film director producer screenwriter do you have a history of knowing any of his other work um i remember seeing k-pax and i enjoyed that because it was that movie was fun for me because it was starman interviewing starman which i always mm, got a okay. kick out of it was Jeff Bridges <laughs> interviewing somebody who's basically Starman. And I just love right. that. Oh, uh, I never and then, thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah. And then The Skeleton Key was his too. That was 2005. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. um, and that wasn't too bad either. It yeah. was a fun little thriller. Ba outside of that, no, I don't really know much else that he's done. I know he did Inkheart. I never saw that. Um, yeah. But he he had an interesting idea, which was I'm going to take the, the visuals of this, like, they never, they never once laid any kind of pretense of like, this is what computers really look like. And they don't. Like, it, it doesn't look anything like any interface you're ever going to see. 
but I liked that he just ran with it. He's like, look, these computers, we're just going to, we're going to use this idea. Cause the opening shot where Dade is flying into New York and you've got this nice overhead shot of, you know, the city grid of New York. And then it slowly morphs into this computerized look to mm-hmm. the same thing. And that was a, a nice aesthetic that they just, they ran with. And I appreciate that. It's the same thing with like the costuming and sort of the overall look of the hacker subculture too. That's true. Although, you know, looking at this again, uh, I was watching it and I was noticing that some of the stuff that seemed kind of over the top to me at the time, fashion wise and look wise, I eventually wore something like that. You know, maybe just right. not in 1995. Like, it was a little bit ahead of that. But then, in hindsight, I'm like, the the things that they're wearing and and the way that they're styled, it's really not that out there anymore. You know, like, no. her red eyeshadow is, like, if anything, that's back. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, Angelina Jolie, I mean. But it's, like, a lot of the... I remember she was wearing, at one point, like, almost like a surfer shirt. Um, like, a shirt you would wear surfing, but instead of wearing that doing that she's in new york and just wearing it and i was like yeah. oh i totally bought a shirt like that <laughs> like well it was, was interesting an older because, teenager yeah and and i remember reading about the movie well, a few years after it had come out um and one of the things that they said was they wanted this kind of an idea that these kids they really did all their shopping at thrift thrift stores right they didn't mm-hmm. have they didn't come from a ton of money or what money they had they put into their computers so for clothing they were just going to be kind of counterculture and like they would just go hit thrift stores and find the whatever they thought looked cool and that's what they wore. And so if you notice, they all kind of, each one of them had a slightly different version of that same look. Like Matthew Lillard's character, serial killer, has this sort of pseudo-hippie thing going on um, that's really interesting and that was kind of a fun little character to, to, to play around with. That's also, when we get to talking about them, I, I can't believe the cast in this movie. Um, but yeah, it's just like the, the whole look of the clothing was kind of neat and it had that very much that, uh, that thrift store look, which I did the same thing when I started getting into, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old. Oh yeah. Same. You know, and you just find the, the cool old stuff. Like I had, you know, I'd hit army Navy surplus and goodwill (laughs) and salvation army and just find stuff like that. And so I, I completely, uh, connected with that idea. It's such a fun time in your life because it's, it's really is like the one time where you get to wear what ever you want and like people will give you looks but you you sort of have license at that age to really start defining yourself you know before you settle down and get a different job or something that's true but then it kind of cycles too because i'm finding now as i'm getting closer to 40 that i'm kind of getting back into the ment- that mentality a little bit me too uh, especially since of, right now we're all like working remote and stuff yes. like that. So <laughs> kind of wear whatever you want again <laughs> yeah it, it definitely helps that i work from home now but like i've started you know, in the last six months, I've started doing uh, crazy stuff like dyeing my hair random colors or, um, you know, things like that. Or just the the clothing look, I'm going back to that. I don't really care what other people think look because I work from home. I don't have to go into an office every day. So, Yeah, I've bought a lot of interesting clothes since lockdown began. Um, <laughs> when I first step out, you know, into the world, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about, well, how about we talk about the cast next? You mentioned you were kind of interested in going through the cast. Yeah. So this was 95 and you've got Angelina Jolie, Johnny Lee Miller, um, Fisher Stevens and Matthew Lillard are all in this. Now this was like the, I think second or third major film for both Lillard and Angelina Jolie. 
who yes you know both went on to have huge careers and still do um in fact 95 for matthew lillard was kind of a busy busy year because he was in it really was i was thinking that watching this i was like man he was like everywhere (laughs) you know and it was and then the next year he did scream and the year after that he did Mm -hmm. slc punk so this was like right at the start of his rise um okay i was wondering about the timeline that makes sense yeah because i remember seeing him in scream the next year and I think I saw, I didn't see Hackers in theaters, but I know I rented it shortly thereafter. Um, and I remembered watching it and then I saw him in Scream and then, you know, and a couple of years later and then he started being everywhere. And same thing with Angelina Jolie. This was, she had done a couple of shorts and Cyborg 2 before she made this. Oh, so, really? Okay. I, yeah, I yeah. was wondering... Because I think by the time I saw this, I had seen her in a few other things as well. Um, but it, I mean, this was a long time ago, so it's hard to remember exactly, but right. I felt like she was pretty hot by this point. As and name. it feels like that. And, and some of that is because, um, I think this, this movie kind of flew under the radar in 95, mm-hmm. but then by the end of the millennium, it was getting, uh, it was getting a lot more like kind of cult classic status. So yeah, right about the time, you know, right about the time she's doing girl interrupted in the bone collector and and whatnot in 99 it's you know this movie's sort of a cult movie by then so oh yeah man girl interrupted was like very important to me (laughs) well i loved that movie (laughs) that was one because i i went and saw that in theaters and that was one where you know i i got behind her as an actor i had seen her a couple times before that and i was you know i was a young teenage kid so of course i I had a thing for angelina jolie but then i see her in girl interrupted yeah (laughs) yeah and then i see her in girl interrupted i'm like holy crap she can act yeah and plus that movie has like britney murphy winona ryder i mean those Mm -hmm. that was just like peak that time you know oh absolutely um so i saw this movie and it was a few years before i saw johnny lee miller and anything else i had no clue he was british at all not not a clue until i I saw i think it was dracula 2000 when i was like wow the kid from hackers does a really good british accent (laughs) then (laughs) then i look it up i'm like well, there's a reason that he does a really good British accent. So, um, but even like some of the smaller roles, Jesse Bradford had a, has had a decent career. Mm-hmm. This was really, he was young in this. Um, he might also have my favorite kind of subplot to his character, which is this idea that that uh, his mom thinks that he's addicted to his computer. Meanwhile, he's just <laughs> chugging coffee and smoking two-handed all the whole movie. Doesn't that Which, speak to a fear that we're still sort of dealing with today? Like every once in a while, somebody in my sphere will be like, I'm going to get off technology. I'm going to put my phone away. I'm going to. And I think about this is, a, I guess, like a quick side tangent plug. There was an episode of um, I think it was factually a, a podcast uh, by the Adam Ruins Everything guy. Um, mm. And he talked about how every time there's something really new we tend to think of that thing as like too addictive and like taking over and like, Oh, I want to go back to the way things were before. So like that started with like the written word. People were like, I liked it better when, you know, everyone was telling stories and not writing it down, writing it down ruins it. And then it's like Mm -hmm. radio, radio is taking too much of TV and now it's computers. Now it's our phones. And I just think it's funny because we never really learn. We're like, you know what? You, you can sit here and say that you're going to put your phone down X amount of hours a day and that you're going to, beat that addiction but i guarantee you're gonna look at your phone every day <laughs> like oh, totally. it's just part of our lives and it's virtually impossible to disconnect at this point 
Um, but I think back when this came out, it was like, it was kind of like the next thing after being worried your kids were watching TV. The new fear is that now they're on the computer. Yeah. Yeah. We had the video game panic in the early nineties and then it was internet (laughs) panic. And I know I went through that. I mean, my parents were worried because I would be on AOL and in chat rooms and whatnot and and chatting with people and learning new stuff on the computer. And they were worried about that. And so they tried to limit the amount of time that I could do that when I was younger. And I get it. Like it's, it's a fear of change. We, we don't like change as humans. So anything that upsets the status quo, we're going to buck against. And you're and right, when whether we could live, the, you know, oh, sorry, sorry. I was just going to say, you're right. Whether it's the written word or radio or television, it's always this new evil that <laughs> yeah. is transformative. Like it's a very transformative technology. And, but, but as humans, we always look to the worst case scenario first. We do. And I think we think things like, well, I lived without that. You know, you always see that meme, like, this is what my childhood was like. I was outside. Now all of oh, you yeah. are inside. And it's like, I mean, people are going outside still. Like, it's just different now. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. like, but it's funny that it, we go through that every few years. And nothing wrong with disconnecting sometimes, you know, definitely not trying to, to hate on that. Because I, I, I have to do that sometimes, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I live my life by a whole thing of balance, right? I want that balance. so. I want to get outside and do stuff, and but I also want to spend some time in front of my computer and and use all the different tools at my disposal to either create or consume or, in some way, try to enrich myself. So it's but it's it is it's about balancing those things out. I I completely agree with that. <laughs> um, a couple other cast members I just wanted to touch on real quick. So uh, Lawrence Mason was Paul Cook, aka Lord Nikon. Mm-hmm. It was weird for me because I think it was right around the same time that I saw this movie. I saw The Crow, which was a year earlier. Oh, okay. And he's Tintin in The Crow. So, like, within a year, he goes from playing a rough street gang member to this kind of nerdy hacker kid <laughs> who's supposed to be in high school. So, it's like, okay. Uh, and, you know, granted, whatever. It's it's normal to have 28, 30-year-old people playing high school kids in movies. Uh, I, think- I feel like... Anytime they want one character to seem more mature, they just have them be a lot older, you know? Yeah. Well, I think what Matt, Matt Lillard was like 28 when he made Scream. So he would have been 27, 26 when he did this. Yeah, you he know, seemed a little too old to be serial killer. <laughs> like, I didn't notice of. that at all when it came out. But now I'm like, he's not their age. <laughs> no, not really. Movie um, magic. Yeah. And then uh, Lorraine Bracco is Margot Wallace in this. It's a tiny little role. She's barely in the movie at all. Um, this was been what, probably five years after Goodfellas. Was that 1990? I think 91. Um, that sounds right. Yeah. And the only thing I I can yeah. say about her in this movie was the ADR they did for her was awful. It <laughs> never, it never looked like she was actually talking. Why do you think they did that? I have no idea. I, I really can't figure it out. Like, Frustrating. It, but it's so noticeable. Um, <laughs> and then Pendulette. Pendulette as Hal was great. Like, that's just a fun little cameo. Oh, and Mark Anthony. I forgot. Mark Anthony. Oh, yeah. You know, when we were watching this last night, the second we saw him, my husband was like, is that Penn? We're like, wait, (laughs) what? Like, it took us a minute. We're like, yeah, that's him. That's him. That and he's playing a character (laughs) named Hal. Right. Which is great. The only thing better would have been if Teller had been on the other side of the the keyboard with him. Exactly. That would have been perfect. (laughs) That would have been great. But it's just, I mean, that's a pretty... It's a pretty fantastic cast. Now, granted, they're all young, right? So it's easier to get these people when they're young. But you look at the careers that, I mean, Johnny Lee Miller goes on to have a pretty 
decent career, mostly known now for, uh, is it Sherlock? Is that what it's called? The series that he was on as Sherlock Holmes? Oh, yeah. I forgot he was on that. Um, but, I mean, Angelina Jolie, enough said. She's international superstar. Bradford's had a solid career. Matthew Lillard, I would say of the people in this movie, Lillard is the most surprising with how his career has gone because he was so... There was something about Serial Killer and then Stu and Scream where you kind of felt like Matthew Lillard was always going to get typecast of that same exact character. And he really was for a long time. Mm-hmm. But between his version of Shaggy, which is fantastic, in my opinion, as a yeah, uh, as agree. a fan of Scooby-Doo since I was four years old, like I love him as Shaggy, but... If you look at some of his stuff that he's done recently, he's really grown as an actor, and he's he's a lot of fun, and it's it's cool to see where he started with something like this because, you know, a character like Serial Killer has got to be fun to play because you just get to have he just got to go off and just do whatever yeah. he wanted. Um, but yeah, it's just cool to see like some of these names, you know, in Lawrence Mason or Fisher Stevens is another one that I'm always been a fan of, even if there are times where he's doing, uh roles that are questionable like short circuit (laughs) (laughs) that's not a role that's aged well but um yeah but i like fisher stevens so he was fun and he's got that great line of like just call me the plague and they're like uh mr the plague (laughs) (laughs) yeah so yeah i mean just a, a crazy good cast in hindsight that really kind of is punching above its weight class for this movie for the type of movie that this is for sure. When you were talking about Matthew Lillard, I couldn't help. I like kind of peeked over at uh, IMDb and man, that makes me feel really old. That he's 50. I know. That's insane. I can't accept it. Anyway, um, let's talk about some of your favorite scenes from the movie. So there's quite a few. It opens. I, I kind of like the soft or the cold open of this movie where you get to see. I like see... that song. Oh man! So uh, that, voodoo, like, voodoo people, yeah, the, yeah. The soundtrack it, for this it, movie is out of this world. Like it's so good. Right. And again, it was like the soundtrack of my life at that time. For exactly, sure. <laughs> yes. I was so into the Prodigy and Orbital and all of yes. these artists in the '90s that, and still am. But yeah, that soundtrack is just killer. And to have that opening of like, because the way the movie opens, you really don't know what you're seeing yet. You just know you're seeing a SWAT team. And then you have the reveal that it's an 11-year-old kid. That's kind of a cool opening because if you go into it not knowing anything, it's just you're not expecting that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say as far as like favorite scenes, I really enjoy the montage at the beginning of their um, their duel just because it's just like – it just throws everything out there and it just says, look, this is what this movie is going to be. It's going to be style over substance. and We're going to have fun with that. <laughs> so it's going to be them, you know, hooking computers up to pay phones. And like the, there's four of them and three people are standing doing lookout while somebody's hacking away at a, at a computer. Um, I mean, I feel like they had the advantage of people not really understanding what that looked like or what it was yet. Yeah. And so they could do things like that and people would be like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? I mean, silly things like him taking and spray painting the keyboard of his computer. And I'm watching that nowadays. And I'm like, no, you wouldn't do yeah, that Yeah, it made ever. me cringe. I'm like, all those keys are going to be sticky. Yeah, you, you just <laughs> ruined that keyboard. Good yeah, work. Like, um, it's not helpful. 
Yeah, uh, that the uh, the scene at the party um, when they when they get to the party is fun because you're just seeing these kids hanging out, having a good time, and then they all... Well, and they're like, also, like, cool and good-looking, which is also, like, another... That helps. Probably not accurate part. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. We wished, we wished we were that cool. Oh, I wasn't totally. a hacker, but just in general. But then the idea that, like, they're all at this party, there's, a, there's an apartment, a New York City apartment full of people, and then they're all huddled around this little laptop, drooling mm-hmm. over this laptop. Like, I just love that. And... Uh, and plus you get to see Mark Anthony's character make a little cameo in the party, which kind of makes you think like, okay, maybe he's not like, he's not a total bad guy kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just like little things like that, the, the moment where he's standing in the hallway with the umbrella and then he just opens up the umbrella and starts walking down the hall. Like, Oh, you guess the pool on the roof has a leak. You know, the, those little things are just, are super fun for me because I think the first two thirds of the movie are, are quite a bit better. Um, oh, okay. When they get into the thriller, the sort of um, the last third of it, I don't think necessarily gets bogged down, but it loses a little bit um, of the tone because yeah, I could see that. You know, it loses the lightness that it had, um, and you you have they, they have to have some sort of controversy to to move a plot along. So I get that, and it's not bad by any stretch, but uh, it definitely isn't as good until. There's like this stretch of time in the movie where um, Dade is not being helpful and he gives the disc to the plague and all of that kind of stuff up until they actually get to Grand Central Station and start hacking the Gibson. That's when it picks back up and you get back to sort of the movie that we were watching. So I agree. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I, I think so. Um, and, and those parts that you're talking about, the better parts, I guess, kind of you know echo back to like especially when they're on the train i -hmm. thought about like warriors a little bit about how you know what what comes after that movie because that movie was like in the 70s right so it's kind of like what are the new sort of like outlaw kids you know and in this case they're hackers which isn't didn't really reflect the reality of the 90s but it's like that movie it's sort of a fantastical charming idea well, I think it didn't reflect the 90s much like the Warriors didn't reflect the 70s, really. But Right. It was the very idea, stylized and fun, yeah. but it's like not really what's happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, the, I almost kind of wish that this movie had had more of like these themed groups of hackers. I would have loved that because that's like one of my favorite parts of that movie. And then, you know, that movie goes on to influence like the, uh, you know, Michael Jackson music videos. Like it really fits yep. into that stylized era and so yeah it's like i I would have loved if they kind of ran with that more the other thing that i thought about watching this movie too was in some ways some of the characterizations and styles taken in a much more serious direction but i feel like mr robot borrowed some things from this movie a little bit oh definitely you know this movie gets kind of it's got a cult status but then there's a lot of people that just want to rag on it for being unrealistic but yet it's also very influential to a lot of a lot of that that idea of what hackers were because i i so one of the things that i say to a lot of people is like yeah okay the actual computer work or some of the techno babble in the movie is not accurate they're using real terms and maybe not using them properly or you know they're making it sound cooler than it really is but one of the first things they do in this movie is pure hacking, which is social engineering. He calls the TV station and gets 
basically socially engineers his way in to the TV station by tricking the security guard. That's a that's a standard move by by uh, bad actors, and it's a it's a very low tech <laughs> way to do it. And I I always appreciated that. I'm like that's great. He didn't have a way to just brute force his way in, so he calls up and gets them to give him the information. Or there's also a, a scene where they're watching that like hackers show. Oh yeah, with the two guys in the paint, which I loved. I liked them, uh, but. My husband was saying that uh, the whole like recording coins dropping thing actually happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a real and thing. And I didn't realize that watching because it, it, it does sound like you're like, oh, that wouldn't work. But it actually does. And it does make sense that it's like until a kid or somebody thought of like, hey, what if I just record this sound? I don't have to pay for it anymore. And I like that um, idea that, you know, they're, they're kind of saying like, guess what? The phone chump, the phone company is overcharging you anyway. So it's really not even stealing. It's just like sort of taking your power back to something that shouldn't be so expensive. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that people nowadays maybe don't understand. But there was a time in our lives where the phone and the cost of phones and the cost of phone calls was pretty outrageous. <laughs> like, oh, it absolutely. was so ridiculously expensive. Well, for, for the younger people in the audience that don't know what a payphone is, um, right, <laughs> but I and I can actually remember uh, when payphones there was a changeover, and and I live in a fairly small area of kind of northern Michigan, um, okay. but I can remember payphones when you would drop the coins and you'd hear the tones, and then at one t- at one point they all of a sudden got muted, and I never understood why. And then I saw this movie, and a couple years later, I kind of made the connection of like, oh yeah, that's a real thing. You could really do that. Um, well, because now too, like in 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 sort of a, I guess the closest thing I can think of to a payphone, where there's a system of like coins, would be like a vending machine, and those all have sensors in them, mm-hmm. so that when you drop the coins in, it reads that. So I think I I always assumed that phones were like that, but then again, I don't even know when they started installing sensors into vending machines. So who knows? You know, like well, and- just something I'd never thought about. Yeah, and even uh, something simple like in the beginning of the movie when he's when they're having the courtroom scene and the judge is passing sentence on Dade Murphy, an 11-year-old kid, and saying you're not allowed to own or operate a computer or a touch-tone telephone until you're 18 years old. Touch-tone telephone, wow. Which is something crazy. Like, I remember having non-touch-tone phone. It wasn't like a, a rotary, rotary phone? We had a rotary phone, but w- what we actually had was the phone itself was push-button but it wasn't touch tone. Oh, that's right. It, it, you push buttoned and it did the pulses. So I can remember that's like right. pretty touch tone phones too. Wow. Gosh, that was yeah, a long it's, time ago. It's crazy though how the technology changed and how like how outdated that sounds now. And then, but you think about it like at the time, that would have been a huge thing. So. Also in the movie when they say things like, I'll beep you. Yeah. And then when they beeped and sent a full sentence, I died laughing now. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God. I actually had a beeper. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, pagers and riding around everywhere on uh, on rollerblades. Yes, rollerblades were huge, which I feel like they're making a comeback now. But They kind of they are, yeah. Back in the 90s, yeah. But that was, yeah, that was the, the way to get around back then. Was, you didn't ride a bike. You had rollerblades. Um, yeah, you're but, like bikes lame. No, but then I feel like bikes had their heyday again, and mm-hmm. now we're back to rollerblades. I actually just got a pair of roller skates. So, well, there you go. Everything kind of cycles around. <laughs> it does. But there was there was a lot of that in this movie. Like that's what I love about the movie is there's these just moments where you're seeing things and you're like, oh, I can remember what it was like, or 
you kind of get this feeling like, yeah, okay, I get why that would be a thing at that time. Um, Man, all those discs that they're holding. <laughs> Not floppy disks, because those are even older, but what do you, a hard disk? Is that what Yeah, I mean, they basically were uh, the hard version of a floppy disk. Um, yeah, I which had a always, ton of those. Oh, yeah, I had boxes of them. They hold um, like five files, I don't remember, but they yeah. were little. They could hold <laughs> like a megabyte and a half, which yeah. nowadays is like, not even a, a complete song. Yeah. Um, and that was all the data you could hold on that one thing. So you, <laughs> you had to have stacks of them. Oh, I but totally it was just so that. amazing that you could even put anything on a disc. Like, <laughs> you know, you'd write a paper at home, put it on the disc, take it to school, put it in the computer. There's my, uh, there's my document. Yep. <laughs> it's like oh, that yeah. basic. Pretty much. Um, but yeah, like, Little things like that are, are the whole uh, the idea that they had like this place where the all the hackers could get together and hang out. That cyberdelia yeah. place was kind of cool. Like I I always wanted something like that. I didn't live in a big enough area to have anything even close to that. And what what you really ended up getting were these like sort of arcade slash PC dens that were. It was it was just a bunch of sweaty guys and it smelled bad all the time. Like it was never as cool <laughs> as that. Uh, but I always wanted that, you know, the idea that was like a, there was like a, a, a drained pool and it was, uh, similar to, if you remember the, the place where all the kids hung out in the beginning of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. It but you know what's different idea. about those places that it was not reflected in real life. And I think it's why it wasn't the way it should have been is it wasn't super inclusive. Like I feel that when this stuff first came out, it was not... Like, there was a certain group of people using those, and that's it. Whereas yeah. it, it didn't really reflect, like, everybody, you know? So it's like everybody wasn't in those spaces yet together. But if they had, that's what it would have looked like. If, like, everybody had had access to the same technology, then, yeah, those places would have existed. But they, they kind of didn't yet. Yeah, and that's a good point. That, that's actually something that this movie does a really good job of is inclusivity in that, yes, your main character is a white guy, but you know, the, the female hacker is as good, if not better than him. And yeah, I kept thinking, I couldn't remember how the movie went. I was like, is this going to end with like, you know, he's so good. He beats her. And then she's like, Oh, that makes me love you. But they have a relationship, but it's not, it's not because of that. It's not like he has to like put her down or something like that. Yeah. No, um, in fact, like he, he acknowledges at one point that she's as good as him, you know, even, yeah. even begrudgingly, like he really did early <laughs> on. But he just, you know, his pride doesn't want him to say it type of thing. Right. And I mean, that's the thing about it being virtual and digital, right? Is that in theoretically everybody is sort of on the same playing field if if they're all on it. Mm -hmm. So I think the movie was kind of forward thinking in that way, too, of like, hey, like this could bring a lot of people, you know, together uh, yeah. from different backgrounds. And that's kind of what it looks like in the movie. Like they're teenagers, but they're different teenagers that maybe wouldn't have been you know the cool kids at school hanging out with the kids that are cool and vice versa like it just feels like a lot of crossover when you talked about like different characters having like their own looks they're not like homogenous at all like you know they've got one hippie but then like one cool kid but then the girl you know like different people hanging out together that maybe wouldn't have otherwise but they have this technology in common yeah, absolutely. And then and then when you look at, you know, Razor and Blade as the TV, the guys that are on TV, the hackers there, they have a very different look from from everybody else. If there had ever been a sequel for this made, I would have loved to 
to have explored the the whole hack the planet and sort of the international part of it because that was really oh, cool yeah. at the end where all of a sudden all these people from all these different countries are coming together for a common goal to just help these kids in New York that they don't know but it's just like no these hackers need help we're going to help them type of thing it's so. a very optimistic view and it is also like I like the underlying theme about um I think like corporations because I you know this is like the 80s and 90s a, a lot of movies were about evil corporations right like i'm thinking like the matrix mm. you know <laughs> um oh, yeah. and um in this movie it's kind of the same thing of like people rising up and getting their power back using the technology that they that the corporations are in charge of and that's kind of a cool concept yeah absolutely no i, I love the the optimism of this movie and i mean you know objectively from a filmmaking standpoint it's okay there's nothing groundbreaking <laughs> about it but it didn't try to be more than that either it was just like oh, we're gonna make a fun movie with this kind of cool subculture and it's gonna be you know it, it's a movie for the mtv generation in a lot of ways for it's sure. very stylized i'm fine with that i don't have a problem with it at all yeah that, and it's like especially now like that that's a thing that has passed right mm -hmm. i mean mtv doesn't have the influence and the presence and like youth culture that it did so sort of makes it a time capsule in a way too yeah absolutely well cool was there anything else uh in the movie that we haven't touched on yet that you wanted to cover um i can't think of anything that was i mean i, I it's just it's just a fun movie you know unplug your brain enjoy what you're seeing um and realize that it's a it's a standard kind of uh, plot, but it it's not meant to be high art. It's just meant to be entertainment, and you're uh, identifying with the characters. You know, I loved the fact that you had so many different characters from so many different backgrounds, and yet they all just get along because that's who they are. So yeah, well, I was going to ask you what keeps you coming back to this movie, but I guess that that's pretty much your answer, huh? That and the music. <laughs> That and the, mu the music is good. I mean, there were several times when I went, oh, man, this song, oh, mm -hmm. defined my life at that time, for sure. Yep, absolutely. So, and, yeah, and, I'm, I'm all about that. <laughs> and I guess you, you kind of, you, you did such a good job of wrapping this up, uh, <laughs> but I'm going to ask it anyway. Sure. What, what is your, like, theater pitch for this movie? Like, how do you introduce this to someone that hasn't seen it before? So if, if somebody who hasn't seen Hackers before, what I tell them is it is as 90s as 90s can get. <laughs> and and if you have issue with stuff from the 90s you're probably not going to enjoy it but honestly just sit down and enjoy it for an hour and 45 minutes or whatever it is you know the the 90s aesthetic is really big right now like with it younger really people is. in fashion so they probably would like this movie It'd be like a big, I think you know, so. it's definitely a nostalgia bomb for some of us. But, you know, if, if you're into that era, like it's also fun to go back and, and watch it. It absolutely is. And the other thing that I tell people a lot of times is, you know, it's a movie about computer hackers, but the computers aren't like the hacking, the, the minutia, the nuts and bolts of it isn't what's important. Like you want that, go watch War Games. That's a more right. accurate film in terms of like what computer hacking is like. But this is this is about the idea of what hackers are, mm -hmm. and sort of yeah, that. like more like as a concept instead yeah. of yeah, yep. as a concept as a subculture than it is uh, for a movie about hacking. Like the movie Sneakers is more accurate in terms of hacking than this movie is. Mm. Um, I don't think I've seen that. 
Uh, that's the like. Well, I, I guess it, there's hacking in it, but it's more of a spy movie. Oh, okay, okay. That makes sense. But yeah, I mean that, and that's a lot of times what I tell people, especially people that maybe saw it once and were like, "Ah, oh, that movie was dumb." I'm like, well, yeah, okay, so it was, but it's also really enjoyable if you look at it from the right angle, which is don't think of it as a movie about computers think of it as a movie about the people using the computers and if you can if you can wrap your head around that concept you're going to enjoy the movie because it's a lot of fun yeah that makes sense i like that that kind of that that does give me a even myself like a different perspective of it than i probably had before so yeah i like that well travis thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come be on this show and uh, really enjoyed having you. Definitely, you need to think about what movie you might want to talk about next because we'd love to have you back. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a ton of fun, and uh, I will start thinking about something. 